parlays and I don't generally speak in tongues. All right, so just a couple things. But I really felt the Spirit leading us to, to pray for this, that this is something important in our church. If we believe the Word of God and the Word says that some were given these gifts and some were giving that gift, we want those gifts here. So we want to invite the Spirit in to be able to do this in our church. And Kaelin, as we were, we were the prayer team this morning, um, and Kaelin revealed to me that this week, you don't mind if I share this to you. I didn't ask him ahead of time. I'm just sharing his life story with you guys. Um, Kaelin had a seizure, seizure this week, easy for me to say. Um, and this has been an ongoing problem, and uh, he'd gone a really long time without having one, and he was almost able to get his license back, and, and then he has this uh, seizure again this week. But I would like to ask us as a church to take a moment to pray for healing for him. So if there's somebody here, you feel like you have the gift of healing and you want to come up and pray with us, you're welcome to come up and pray with us. If you want to hold your hand out and pray over Kalen, um, we'd like you to do that too. But we're going to pray for a healing right now for him. And then after that, he's going to pray over us and pray over this service today. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this man. I thank you for what you have done in his life. You have clearly uh, brought him to a faith for a purpose, Lord. Father, he has this amazing testimony that you've given him, Lord, that we have been able to hear, and I pray that you would expand on this testimony. Lord, I pray that he would sense your spirit working in him right now. I pray that he would sense this healing, Father, that you would take away these seizures that he's been dealing with. Whatever is going on in him neurologically, whatever is going on in his body, we pray that you would bring healing to him. Because, Father, we know that you knit us together in our mother's wombs. You created us as you created all things. Father, I pray that you would bring a healing to Kaelin, Lord. Do a mighty work that we will be able to sing your praises about what you have done in this church. Because we know there are so many others that need healing as well. Begin this mighty work here, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you want to pray to now? Okay, thank you. All right. You want to pray for our service now? Let me grab you. Thank you so much, Tom, and everybody. Um, first of all, the, be the best episode of Bluey is the one where the one kid learns to sleep in his own bed <laughs> at night. That's a really good one. Anyway, um, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for all the wonderful people that I have met through this church. I've never felt less lonely in my life, and, and less, I've never felt less afraid. And def I especially want to thank you for Pastor Tom here. Um, who has been just such a beautiful influence on me and has just been somebody that has given me so much support in this short time that I've been a Christian. Um, and so I just ask you, Father, today that you would open up all of our hearts here, all of us that came here this morning. Maybe you come here every single week. Maybe you come here sometimes. But I pray that everybody has their hearts open today and is listening to what you have to say and that our minds will be clear and especially today when we have communion 
I pray that we get to feel just that little piece of you as a part of us, as I always do for just a little bit right after communion. Um, so I just pray that today you open up our hearts and that you speak through our pastor, Tom, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, bud. So we're uh, <clears throat> continuing through our study of Esther. I'm just going to go through, I'm going to do a really quick, well, as quick a recap as we can here. Uh, if you have missed a week of this, this is week number five, it's our last week of Esther. If you've missed one of the weeks, I encourage you to go back on YouTube, watch it, so you can go through the entire book. Uh, but in case you have missed some and you, you don't know what's going on in Esther, a really quick recap. Uh, chapter one of Esther, we are introduced to the king of Persia, Xerxes, or Ahasuerus is how he is in most uh, translations, um, but it's believed to be Xerxes. And uh, we're introduced to Mordecai and, and Esther, and then in chapter 2, we're introduced to Haman. In chapter 1, uh, Vashti, the queen, is deposed, right? She's gotten rid of, right? We went through a whole big thing why she was gotten rid of. So chapter 2, this creates a space for Esther, who's of Jewish origin, uh, in Persia, she's part of the uh, diaspora, and uh, diaspora, and um, um, she is able to come up and, and become the queen. At the end of chapter two, and this is important, remember this part: Mordecai saves the king's life. All right, he's sitting at the gate, and he, he overhears that uh, there's going to be an assassination uh, attempt on the king, and he. Uh, tells Esther about it and encourages her to go to the king. She does, and she gives credit to Mordecai, saying that Mordecai heard this. They investigate, and sure enough, it's true. Those men are arrested and, and gotten rid of. Chapter 3 is the rise of Haman. So Haman hates the Jews. Pastor Joe did a great job of going through. He, he was a, um, an Agagite, which is a descendant from the Amalekites, and uh, they hate the Jews, particularly, uh, I think, the Benjamites, which is what Mordecai is. And Pastor Joe goes into a, a big thing about why there was probably tension there. But also, in general, they just hated Jews. So Haman goes to the king, and he's a very high person in the government, very close to the king, and uh, convinces the king to make a decree to kill all the Jews, to annihilate the Jews. That takes us into chapter 4. So in chapter 4, Mordecai hears about this because he's, you know, he's, he's an official in the government as well. He hears about this decree and he's just distraught, like any of us would be, right? His whole family, all his people are about to be annihilated. So he tears his clothes. Um, that's what they did back then, apparently. They got angry, they tore their clothes and uh, put on sackcloth. Uh, very uncomfortable material to show that he's in mourning and covered himself with ashes um, to, again, uh, just show how upset he is and, and how, uh, uh, just how distraught he is. And uh, that may sound weird that that's what people did if they were distraught, but uh, today we turn to a bottle or something else, right? So maybe it's better this way. Maybe we should start tearing our clothes instead of turning to some other things that maybe we turn to. But that's a side note. <laughs> All right, we don't really need that. <laughs> um, so Mordecai goes to Esther, 
and tells her what's going on. He says, you need to talk to the king. And Esther says, I can't do that. You know, the king can have me killed just for going into his presence without being called. And uh, Mordecai comes up with some great words. He listens to what she says and gives her words some thought. And then in verse 4, I'm going to just read this for you real quick. Uh, Verse 4, 13 and 14. Mordecai says, "Do Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. So Mordecai, who just a little bit earlier had been distraught, the Jews are going to be annihilated, there's no hope but Esther, all of a sudden he has a revelation that, okay, Maybe there is hope, even if Esther doesn't do what she should do, because we believe in a God of hope, a God who will take care of his people no matter what. So Mordecai becomes a theologian at this point and says, look, even if you don't do it, God's going to save us. But he's allowing you to be a part of this work that he's going to do. So Esther does, and we talked about this two weeks ago, what we all should do. Esther said, okay, fast. We're going to fast and we're going to pray for three days. And that's where we end chapter 4. Chapter 5 starts. It's been three days since uh, she told uh, Mordecai to have all the Jews fast for her. And now it's time for her to go before the king. As she walks into that throne room, if the king does not hold out the scepter to her, it means she will be immediately put to death. It is illegal. You cannot walk into the throne room without being invited So they have been fasting, and when she walks in, um, the king is happy to see her and says, yes, come forward, and holds out his scepter. And we talked two weeks ago about what a miracle that was in itself because she'd been fasting for three days, you know. I mean, you have, um, you know, the mascara running, the bedhead, you have all this stuff going on. All right, she probably made herself up for the event. I'm sure she ran a comb through her hair or something. But as Max Licato shared, we shared this two weeks ago, um, she probably didn't look great. You know, when you're, you're hangry, you're just, you're not yourself, you know, after you haven't eaten for three days. And yet, the king was so taken by her that he was willing to give her up to half his kingdom. All she had to do was ask. Tempting, but Esther doesn't. Esther stays on focus. All right, no, I don't need half the kingdom. I need to survive. So... She says, I just want a dinner date. I want you and Haman to come over and I'm going to prepare a banquet for you. And that's how we end chapter 5. Actually, so we end chapter 5 with the invite. Haman is ecstatic over this invite and uh, he goes home to brag to his wife and family and friends. But on the way, he encounters Mordecai again and once again, he's just enraged. And uh, we talked about that two weeks ago as well. But not so enraged that it put a damper on his boasting to all of his friends and family. But the table talk that evening does turn to murder, which those are never good dinner conversations to have, just in case one happens in your home, say, maybe this is going the wrong direction. Okay, stop right there. The next chapter, chapter 6, the, kid can't, the king can't sleep, so he calls in one of his... AIDS, whatever. 
uh, to read him a bedtime story. You know, it puts all of us to sleep, right? Uh, has him pull out the annals of the king, and in there he reads about how Mordecai, remember before, had saved his life. Nothing had ever been done. So the Mordecai, or so the king wants to reward, reward Mordecai. So that morning, Haman is at the palace very early with Mordecai on his mind, and the king is up very early with Mordecai on his mind. But Haman wants to kill him. The king wants to reward him. And we talked again about whose will is going to win out in this case, right? The king's will supersedes everybody else's will. So the king decides this is how he's going to honor Mordecai. And he's going to honor Mordecai um, at the expense of Haman, really, because Haman is going to be shamed um, by what he has to do, because he has to lead Mordecai through the city while people just honor Mordecai. Um, and you know, we kind of, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they didn't understand why that's such a big deal. Um, in that culture, shame and honor are very big in the Eastern culture, especially at this time. So to be shamed in that way, that's huge. That's not like, you know, okay, as long as it's not on, you know, um, Twitter or whatever, uh, Snapchat, I don't know, whatever, social media, as long as nobody got footage of me doing it, uh, eventually it'll die down, I'll be fine. Um, But in this day, this is a huge deal for uh, Haman to be kind of dishonored this way. So chapter 7, they have their second banquet. And uh, by this time now, Esther is telling the king what Haman is plotting. And Pastor Joe went through all of this last week. And uh, the king is filled with rage at Haman that he's doing this. He's trying to kill the, king, the queen. And, and there was some more to that um, that Pastor Joe unwrapped last week. Uh, and eventually Haman is killed on the stake that he had set up for Mordecai. And then we move into chapter 8. So in chapter 8, it seems like everything has been worked out, right? Um, Esther is given the estates of Haman, and uh, Mordecai is uh, given uh, the king's signet ring. Uh, He kind of takes Haman's spot. So life should be good again for the Jews, right? I mean, the king can just get rid of this decree, and and everything's going to be fine. But that's not exactly what happens, right? You see, Xerxes is the king, and in that culture, um, the king is elevated to a godlike status. And a god's, little g, a god's law cannot be changed. So Xerxes had made this decree, he had made this law, but because his people view him in a godlike manner, he can't just change that law, which I'll tell you, as I was studying this, it kind of, I thought there's so many ways that we could go with just this one part of scripture, but it's crazy that even in cultures that don't know the one true God, they still have some understanding of the workings of the God of the universe. They still have an understanding of, of God, right? And I went to 1 Samuel 15, 29, which uh, Samuel says about God, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change 
his mind. You get that? God doesn't change his mind. What he has set down doesn't change. And I think of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia as I was thinking through this as well. Um, and if, how many of you have seen Chronicles of Narnia or, or read the books? A lot of people, hopefully. Um, if you haven't, that's it. All right, Bluey's funny. Chronicles of Narnia is just awesome. All right. In, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Jesus figure is the lion. It's Aslan. And uh, there's four children, the Pevensey children, uh, that come into Narnia, and they're going to be set up as kind of the new kings. Um, so there's this whole purpose where, where Jesus is coming back. He's going to defeat the white witch who technically is uh, ruling Narnia at the time. Uh, so it's very similar to, you know, it's basically talking about what we're going through now. Edmund had done something against Aslan and against his people where he had sinned. But they free Aslan, and As- or free Edmund, and Edmund is with Aslan now. And the white witch comes and says, he is mine. You know what the law says. You know that by law, what he has done means that he belongs to me. And Aslan can't argue with that. Aslan himself cannot argue with that. So instead, to free Edmund, Aslan has to offer something of equal or greater value to the white witch. And Aslan does this by sacrificing his own life. And a little later on, uh, the Pevensey girls are talking with Aslan when he's come back from life and says that the deep laws uh, cannot be changed. These deep laws cannot be changed. But the white witch didn't really understand the deep laws. So there was a way to get around it. This is what Xerxes does. Xerxes can't change his law But he tells Mordecai and Esther, go ahead and write another decree that will will help your people. And he tells them, write whatever you see fit and use my signet ring to verify it so that it will absolutely be law. So this is where we are going into chapter 9. In chapter 4, Mordecai is in sackcloth and ashes. In chapter 8, he's wearing robes and the signet ring of the king. God is faithful. Even when we don't see him at work, God is faithful. Mordecai and Esther were chosen by God. You have been chosen by God. I want to read out of uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 10. And this is kind of going to be our launching point. And uh, I apologize. Casey uh, is off running a half marathon today, so this isn't going to be up on the, the board because I came w- up with it you know, yesterday, like I do oftentimes to her, and she just adapts. And I'll tell you, she's off running despite how many times I have told her that it is sinful to do so. Because we all know Proverbs 28.1, right? Only the wicked flee when no one pursues. 
So Casey is supposed to be watching, listening online, and checking in while she's on her race, but I cannot convince her and Tammy that it's just how wicked their ways are right now. <laughs> but we'll move on to 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 10. It's in page uh, 483 of your pew Bible, if you want to grab that. So 483, well, 482 technically. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. All right, catch that part. God has called us and saved us unto a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Okay, you didn't earn it. It's not anything you have done for why God has called you. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let's pray real quick from this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage in 2 Timothy that you reveal to us that you have chosen us, Lord, that we are your chosen people. Father God, I thank you for the book of Esther. Lord, every time, and, and we've been talking about this in our sermon prep meetings, Lord, and just as we're talking with each other, um, every time we read this book, Lord, you reveal something new to us. Lord, thank you and praise you that your word is shallow enough that even the most novice believer can wade in its waters. And even the most experienced believer will never reach the depths. Speak to us today through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the things we're going to talk about today from our passages from 9 and 10 are relief that was brought. We're going to talk about remembering, and then we're going to talk about recognition. It's the three R's today to help you remember. Um, I don't know, we just chose to go with R's this week because they were there. So here we are. We're, we're going to kind of continue with the second half of chapter 8 because it's important. It kind of ties in with 9. And we talked about how the king <clears throat> cannot change the law. So what he does in the second half of chapter 8, he tells Mordecai and Esther to, to write that decree. Now in that decree, they were also told, they were, they, in that decree, what they tell the Jewish people is that now you are allowed to assemble and you are allowed to defend yourself. So whereas there had been no hope, remember Mordecai and the sackcloth and ashes, there had been no hope. They were going to be annihilated, wiped out. They didn't have the freedom to assemble and, and make a plan. Now they do. So there's a great relief from this. And this is where we, we find 
Mordecai and the Jews right now. They're so relieved that there is partying in the streets. All through the streets of Susa, everyone's just uh, partying. How can we describe this? Partying like Buffalo will party if they ever win a Super Bowl. (laughs) Yes, that's right, Woody. (laughs) They are partying in the streets because they are relieved. They were going to be killed, but now they are free. Now they are are, uh, they have life again. As we were talking about this time of relief in sermon prep, we talked about times in our lives when we had that kind of relief where, uh, well, I'll tell you, I'm just going to tell you what happened with me. When I accepted Christ, when I accepted Christ, when I surrendered my life to Christ and asked forgiveness for my sins, I'm down on my knees at the end of my bed and I felt a weight lifted off of my shoulders. And it was a physical Wait, and I can't explain it, and you don't have to believe it, but I experienced it. This weight was lifted off my shoulders, and suddenly I stood up and I took a deep breath, and it was like I could breathe for the first time. It was the most amazing thing. That is relief. I was freed from those sins. I was freed from the life I had been living That is the relief we're talking about. Throughout my years of knowing Christ, he has come to me in several different ways, and every single time afterwards, I sense his presence. Uh, One time I asked a guy to come to our small group. Now this sounds like a simple thing, but this guy was, uh, um, he wasn't a believer anymore, and he wasn't, I wasn't really friends with him either. So I called him to invite him. I was really nervous about doing so. And I wasn't sure how we would fit with the small group, just a lot of things. He came to that small group, rededicated his life to Christ, um, which was awesome. But the really awesome part about that was, was that after that group was over, I left that night. And again, I had that same relief, that same peace, that same joy of the Holy Spirit that I experienced that first day of knowing Christ. Another time, it was Communion Sunday, it was, and I worked third shift. I hadn't eaten all night, and I was starving. Um, and I was young, you know, you're in your 20s. You're def- you, you starve different when you're in your 20s, right? Um, and so I couldn't even focus on the sermon. And I were taking communion, and it wasn't like big pieces of bread like these are. Um, this was a tiny little communion wafer, not even the big round wafers that you've seen, the really small rectangular ones. But I prayed and I said, God, you fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and some fishes. Surely you can make this fill me so at the very least I can focus on what is being said here. And I'll tell you what, God did it. I took that communion and the rest of the day, I didn't eat lunch. I got done, and I was going to go for lunch afterwards. I wasn't hungry. I went down to the lake and opened my Bible, and I was reading and just praising God, just filled with the Spirit, feeling like I was going to burst right out of my skin. That is the type of relief we are talking about when we have faith, when we trust in God. Oftentimes, God does these amazing works, and we experience that physically. Every time I have trusted God, when no matter what it is, 
my fears have turned to praise. Do you get that? Every time I have trusted God, my fears have turned to praise. Do you have times that God has done this for you? Where you have trusted God and the tables have turned. What you thought was going to happen isn't what happened. And all of a sudden you are singing his praises and rejoicing and celebrating figuratively in the streets. When those things happen to you, I encourage you to remember them. Remember them. It's important that we remember the works of God, that we write it down, that we set up some reminder, something. But Mordecai and Esther, what they did to remember this relief that they were experiencing was that they set up a Purim celebration. The Purim is the reminder of how God saved his people in this time. In uh, Joshua, the people are encouraged to remember what God has done for them. After the nation crosses the Jordan River, God says, choose 12 men and uh, have each of them get 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and build an altar there as a reminder to how God brought you out of Egypt and across the Jordan so that when their children would ask years later, they could explain what God had done. God encouraged them to set up reminders because we often forget what God has done for us. We've seen him work. We are encouraged. We are strengthened. And then six months down the road, something bad comes up, something difficult, and all of a sudden we forget all the times that he has worked in our lives. God knows this about us. He says, set up these reminders. So I want to take a moment today, and I know we're kind of running a little late, but I want to share some times when God has blessed you I want to share what maybe where you see God at work right now. Where is he leading you? Where has he brought you relief? So if you have a testimony right now that you would like to share, this is another way that we can remember what God has done for us and we can bless the rest of the body with it. So anybody who would like to share? And you all know I can wait up to 45 seconds. Doesn't sound like long. Doug. Do you want it? Do you want just you can just tell me I'll repeat it? Just providing work. Providing work, Doug. Providing work. What else? What else has God done to work? Oh, who am I missing? Oh, yes. I'm not gonna be happy I'm saying this, but the kids sitting next to me right here, that is God's faithful. Amen. Yes, so Vicky said giving Ryan to her as a son. Anything else? Where has God been faithful? Yeah, Holly. Um, when you talked about gifts today, um, there's a few people in our lives that have um, that on their heart, and we prayed here yesterday for about three hours. Mm. One of the things. And on top of that, the healing. Um, I 
Amen. So Holly shared that they had an incredible prayer time yesterday morning. Uh, I've never been so jealous to not be able to be in a women's group as I was at noon yesterday as Britta was telling me all about just how incredible it was. Um, but also just how Mallory is dealing with seizures. Seizures, I'm sorry, it's a hard word for me to say, um, as well. But she said in the, in the scriptures, God says in the end times, these things are going to happen. And he's going to start pouring out his spirit and these gifts on people. So let's keep praying for those healings. God is faithful. Do we have one more? Oh, Kurt. Amen. Yeah, Kurt said God's provision, so just providing for them, providing for this church, uh, all the friends that he has made here who uh, just provide spiritually, emotionally as well. Um, so all of these things that we're talking about, all these things that we remember, these times that we need to hold on to so that when things get tough, we can look back and say, I've seen God at work. He has always been faithful. He has always brought me through everything I've, I've endured, everything I've encountered. As we remember these things, the last section that we're going to talk about is the importance of recognition and recognizing that all of this is of God. In chapter 10, it says, the great king, Xerxes, which actually the Jewish... Um, my Jewish study Bible says it has the great king Xerxes. Um, all of his acts of power and might and how he lifted up the great Mordecai, all of these were recorded in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia. You see, Xerxes gets credit for raising up Mordecai so the Jewish people appreciate Xerxes and consider him a great king because they went into a great period after this where their people were being looked after and taken care of. Um, but we have to recognize who the true king is, right? Because we know that it wasn't just Xerxes who did this. On his own, the Israelite people would have been annihilated under Xerxes. But all of this is God. All of it is God. When we talk about what's going on in our lives, it's important that we always give recognition to who is really responsible, to who is really faithful, and that is God. No matter how much we practice, no matter how much we talk to people, um, to lead great groups or whatever it is, or to be up here sharing, no matter how much work I put in, none of it matters. Apart from God, the only thing that will ever make a difference is God. Talking to a friend this morning who's praying for his children and we talked about how we can argue people into the church, but we can't argue them into the kingdom. That takes prayer. It is God. And in John 15, 4 through 11, Jesus tells us this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Whatever good works come from us, from our work, is only by the grace of God. So remember what he has done in your life. Hold on to that, but always recognize that it is all from God and not something that we have earned or deserve. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again for this day. Help us, Lord, to abide in you, that you may continue to abide in us and do the work that you have promised, bear much fruit in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.